From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining. It's the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today on the program, we share a conversation we had with Mississippi native chef Juanita Smith. Now based in Texas, this friend of the program shares her experiences on food competition shows, how she found her passion for cooking, and how she makes it look so easy balancing being a mom and a celebrity chef. As always, Deborah has brought something good from her kitchen to discuss. This is Deep South Dawning on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today on the program, we'll share a conversation that we had recently with Mississippi native chef Juanita Smith. She's now based in Texas, but this vendor of the program talks about her experience on food competition shows, how she found her passion for cooking, and how she makes it look so easy balancing being a mom and a celebrity chef. And as always, Deborah brought something good from her kitchen to discuss. So we'll have that uh, interview beginning in about 10 minutes, but uh, until then, Deborah, we'll chat for just a little bit. Uh, how was your weekend this morning? Or this morning? How was your weekend? <laughs> Oh, my weekend was wonderful, Kevin. It was truly a fantastic weekend, and I'm really excited about today because today, I as a national holiday, I declared it to be so. It's my mom's birthday. All right. So happy birthday, pretty girl, if you're listening to us this morning. Uh, my mom recently moved into a retirement community. It was funny. She uh, called me up, and I was asking her how things were going, and she said that she was uh, settling in nicely. She's got uh, something that uh, – two meals a day, so she's got a little kitchen there for – maybe a snack or a breakfast or something. But um, she said, you know, I'm old, but there are a lot of old people around here. <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, she's doing well, and she said the the food was good, and so that's an important part of that. So, um, <clears throat> like, But I thought that was funny. That, But she's uh, meeting some folks and uh, is settling in nicely. You know, it was uh, really uh, nice weather this weekend. So, again, you know, it's uh, fall We've been lucky to have some, well, until I'm, what am I talking about? Until Sunday, part of the weekend at least was nice. Yeah, part of the weekend was nice. But this morning when I woke up, Kevin, and felt the crisp coolness in the air, and I actually put on a little sweater this morning, and I was really happy about that. I mean, it's that time of year. It's cooling off, and, you know, we're heading into the holidays. And, you know, I love a good festive, you know, mood. So, And I guess uh, with the weather getting cooler, uh, sometimes people... I think about soups. Uh, do you are you a big soup maker? Oh my gosh, Kevin, I love soup. And this morning I'm eating <laughs> some yummy mac and cheese while we're talking. But I absolutely love soup, and vegetable soup is one of my favorites. My mom has always made just you know from fresh from the garden this homemade soup with corn and beans in it, and okra and tomatoes, and she add in um, a little you know, some beef in the soup and some fresh cornbread, Kevin. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, I'm going to try to find a, a good soup recipe because you're right. That's, you know, what I like about it, at least a single person, you make a big batch of soup, 
and it pretty much can you know, last last the whole week and uh, it's good for uh, freezing. I know a, a couple of years ago I had a recipe that was a really large amount, uh, but was able to freeze about half of it and then pulled it out of the freezer a little bit later and it turned out really good. It was a so it's like it was a white bean soup. So it's, oh uh, wow. And then black beans, I like those. So I'd be interested to to find a good soup recipe with uh, with black beans. And that's a great thing about soup, Kevin. You know, you can make so many di- different varieties of soup. Whether you're using something as simple as a broth, or that traditional favorite that we all love, you know, that chicken noodle soup. You know, it just makes your heart happy. Or you can do a pumpkin soup or a sweet potato soup. So you can go from one end of the spectrum to the other. And it's just so many wonderful ideas out there. By the way, I heard you mention corn. I read somewhere online uh, last week, corn is considered a fruit. Ha-ha. So it goes along with tomatoes and some other things that are, I, and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just feeling so silly. It just made me want to say, what is that, Kevin Velvet? I don't know. It's just really silly. So, but it's uh, it's a tasty fruit. I'll say that much. I, I like corn, and and it's, it goes good with, uh, as you say, a, a good ingredient in soups and and that sort of thing. Uh, now, you did uh, mention uh, that you brought in something for us this morning—a very, very uh, creamy and warm treat for us. Uh, tell us what you brought in today. So today I brought in a recipe I'm calling Honey's Southern Mac and Cheese, and this mac and cheese is. Like you said, it's super creamy. We use little bitty pine noodles. Uh, they're cooked perfectly. But the surprise in this, um, other than the rich creaminess that you expect from a great macaroni and cheese, is it's loaded with pecans, toasted pecans, Kevin. And uh, we toasted it off at the very end so you get this really beautiful crisp crust on the top of the mac and cheese. Oh, my God, it's just super yummy. Yeah, I thought it added a real nice crunch to it. I mean, uh you know, you you must know me so well because you know I'm a big fan of macaroni and cheese. And then when you toss pecans in there, it's just like <laughs> over the top. Also, I thought the the penne pasta worked well. Little 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 ones there, but that's a little bit of a switch from the normal kind of elbow uh, macaroni that a lot of people use for uh, macaroni and cheese. I usually switch up between the two. Uh, you know, I love to do the traditional elbow noodle, but I really like the weight of the penne, and I like the fact that you know you have this straight open line with the particular noodle, so this you get the cheese all the way through when it's really creamy, and it makes for just a wonderful bite. And the presentation is just so pretty. Uh, and was it cheddar in there? It was a sharp cheddar, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's called red rhyme cheddar. When you're in the country, you can go to the country store, and it still has the little red rhyme on, and it's just a wonderful bite. Um, getting back to we're talking about soups, what would be some tips uh, for folks if they want to try to make some soup this fall? Uh, you know, as we said, nice warm dish, a good good thing for a dinner for your family. Uh, would, what would you get some as uh, tips for maybe uh, beginning soup makers? <laughs> Well, the thing that I would do from the very beginning, and especially if you're going to add, for instance, um, like beef tips or something in your soup, you want to go ahead and, you know, cook a broth to cook that down with that meat to make sure your meat is nice and tender before you start. And then you can, you know, start to build as you go by adding your vegetables in and adding vegetables in based on the density of the vegetable itself. For me, when I'm making a really great soup, if I'm going to add something particularly like okra, it's probably going to be the very last thing that I add in because I don't want that okra. Some people like it really overcooked. I don't want it to be slimy and torn up. I really want a nice crisp bite when you do that. 
but just be creative and have fun. And the wonderful thing about soups, a lot of times, Kevin, is you can take a lot of leftovers that you have in the refrigerator. You might have used some rice the night before. You might have baked a chicken. Well, voila, those two things together in a nice broth, and you've got a wonderful soup. So just keep it simple. Have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, just whatever you like, just kind of throw it in there and make it happen. And I guess uh, uh, the crock pot was always good for a soup. They give it that low, you know, low chance to simmer and really let the, the flavors blend together. I think every house should have a crock pot, Kevin. I mean, it's just really wonderful to have. And like you said, you can do it low and slow, put all your ingredients in. You don't have to worry about using a whole bunch of energy that day. And then you can go on and do some other things around the house and enjoy your day while your soup is cooking. And then by the time the kids and your husband gets home, if you're lucky enough to have that, and you know, and throw in some cornbread and it's nothing else that you could do except enjoy that. So as I mentioned, uh, we spoke recently with Chef Juanita Smith. It was last Friday. Uh, we're going to go to that interview in just a minute here. But uh, tell us, how did, how did you meet uh, Chef Juanita? I actually met her um, probably about three years ago. We were at a uh, party. She was actually the chef for the party. Uh, one of our dear friends, Valerie, had invited us out. And uh, she was catering the gig, and the food presentation was so wonderful, and she was very inviting and very friendly, and um, so we've kind of been stuck together ever since. All right. So we are going to, uh, when we get back, uh, talk with Chef Juanita Smith, a uh, celebrity chef who now lives in Texas, but uh, she has some Mississippi roots. She'll talk about that, how she inspires her cooking and her passion for making a difference through food. So stay tuned. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today we're going to welcome our guest who hasn't been on the show in a while. We'll talk with Chef Juanita Smith, who's going to fill us in on what she's been up to lately. Uh, but first, we want to talk about the guest that we had on last week on Deep South Dining, Chef, uh, Chef Nick Wallace, who recently won on Chopped. So, Deborah, what do you have to think about that? Oh, my God, Kevin. I am still screaming. It was such a wonderful um, event. Uh, chef Juanita and I actually got to go and sit and watch the event live with the chef there. And to see um, Chef Nick Wallace calm, cool, and collective through each competition level, making amazing Southern dishes. Uh, and I don't even think he broke a sweat. That's what was so crazy. I mean, he literally did not break a sweat. And everybody was on their pins and needles screaming and clapping. And I think I might have been one of the loudest people in the crowd. 
And it was just an amazing event, and we're really proud of him. He brought home the gold for Mississippi. He represented us really well. I didn't get to see the episode, but I know Chop, they always have some nutty ingredient that they have to work in. Uh, what were some of the crazy things that uh, Chef Wallace had to deal with? Well, they um, they had to use mussels in one dish. They also had to use beef jerky in another dish. They used dried potatoes in a dish, and the ultimate goal was not to make a smashed potato with those dried potatoes. So, it, but it was um, it was really interesting to see how each chef, you know, took their own different take. But what Chef Nick Wallace did is he kept it true to, um, you know, Southern cooking, and he just gave it a little bit of flair. And in the last round, oh my God, I was so proud. The other chef. Um, with uh, all of these techniques and stuff kind of got in his own way. And Chef Nick Wallace pulled out some bread pudding. It was really simple, really basic bread pudding with lots of flavor. And the sh- everybody complimented it. And it was just really great. So, Chef Juanita, last time you were on, I remember you told us about you, you've been on a Food Network show before. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea. I mean, you know, there's the competition. Of, and, and in your case, you were on that show with Alton Brown where you got to do all the crazy stuff. But yeah. uh, add to all that pressure the fact that it's a TV show. Tell us a little bit about what it's like for chefs to go on those crazy competition shows. Um, <clears throat> well, it's a lot of work. Um, being in the industry and um, being on TV like this is is obviously it's a platform for a lot of amazing chefs to get on and kind of show their skills. But then when you get on a show like Cutthroat Kitchen or Chopped and you have these these the competition shows where, you know, you've been sabotaged or you have 30 minutes to do something, it, it really shows you what kind of skill level the, of the, the type of chef that you're working with. And even if you don't win or you're out first, these are amazing chefs that come in and are able to do this and create something within a ter- in a 30-minute time span. So to me, like, I think even not winning or winning, everybody that comes on and does these shows are awesome because the skill level is just amazing. And I think something that uh, viewers, us viewers' homes don't real realize is that it's not just the half hour. I mean, it's it's a long day on a TV set on those shows. <clears throat> it's a very long day, um, but it's real time. A lot of people don't believe that. It's real time. We only get 30 minutes to cook whatever it is that they tell us to cook, but... The taping of that 30 minutes is three hours. You know, the stopping and the starting and the, you know, once the the sabotages come in or once the, you know, production has to to rearrange things. So it's it's a grueling experience. It's not it's not for the week. But (laughs) at the end of the day, if you're a chef, that that career itself is not for the week. So. I think it says a lot, too, about mental uh, aptitude along with culinary skills. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just be able to make a pretty plate. Right. But can you make that pretty plate under pressure? And a lot of people don't realize what happens in restaurants mm-hmm. and in kitchens. You know, you're, sometimes you may be feeding 100 people a day. You may be feeding 2,000 people a day. Can you be consistent mm-hmm. under pressure? You may be running out of ingredients. You know, somebody forgot to bring you something for an order. And you still got to stay calm, mm-hmm. cool, and collective and get that dish out to me, the customer. Exactly. Yeah. I think what most people miss in the food industry is they think that it's all just food, that we're giving you food. But there's so many levels. You could be a restaurant chef a caterer, a personal chef, you could be a a dietary chef or, you know, gluten-free vegan. All of these things are are completely different components of the culinary industry. Whether you're, like you said, whether you're feeding 100 people or two different people, you have to be consistent. That's the one thing 
in this industry that will never change this consistency because once you when you send one plate out, that hundredth plate has to be just like that very first plate. Also, from uh, just watching Chopped as a, as a viewer, uh, those uh, the the chefs have to have thick skin because sometimes the judges, especially to me, they get so picky. It's like I don't like it, yeah. and then I think on Iron Chef one time, I said, <laughs> they tasted it, and someone this isn't even edible, and it's like you poured your heart out, you rushing around thirty minutes, and someone yeah. says something like that to you. So it's all part of the game. But it, as we're saying, it's it's not a it's not a day in the park. Yeah, there's there's a level of of you know, thick skin that you definitely have to have to, to go on these shows. But it, it starts in the kitchen. It starts where you work. It starts at home when you decide to be in this industry. Because being on TV, the world gets to see somebody say, well, I don't like your food. But if you think about it, being in this industry, we've had a lot of people say, I don't like your food. So, and and it it's kind of a heart-wrenching thing because you want everybody to love everything but everybody's palate is different so you're we're, you're we're able to accept the fact that there's going to be somebody in here that doesn't like this today and that's okay kevin and i actually had this conversation i was having a moment uh where i had cooked some uh pastries mm-hmm. and so out of 100 people, there was one person who just didn't like it. And I was falling apart. Like, why doesn't she like my stuff? And Kevin was like, get over it already. <laughs> if you've got 99 people that's right. telling you how magnificent something is, and then you've got one person, but that one person really can challenge you to either be better or go home. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's always that attitude of I've got to be better today. I've got to do better. And I'm really I'm learning to be grateful for people who criticize mm-hmm. because it's my heart's desire now to win that one person. Right. Yeah. But also I think we should remember as someone who worked in a restaurant when I was uh, growing up in, in high school and college, remember that there are humans that are working there that are most, for the most part, putting out their best effort, doing what they love, uh, but giving it their best effort. So sometimes even if you don't get good service or maybe the meal is not quite what you expected, remember that those are humans doing that and show a little sympathy to the folks that are out there are earning their living trying to provide you with a good meal. See, Kevin, you would be the ultimate customer or client because you're always thinking it's not just a meal, but most people are not thinking that. One of the things that I noticed where the short intern time that I had in a restaurant is the one place where people have a lot of power Mm -hmm. because you have the menu. You get to choose what you want. You get to tell other people to bring it to you. And so it gives you this sense of if you had a bad day, the one person I get to take it out on is either the, the waiter or waitress or the chef. And so... You truly would be the the customer I would want to see every day. <laughs> uh, we need to take a quick break, but before we do, uh, uh, Deborah, tell us what you brought in today. It was an absolute delicious dessert. Well, Kevin, of course, I couldn't show up without bringing you something yummy. <laughs> so today I did a pear crumble. You know, the season is changing. It's fall. And I had some beautiful pears uh, that was given to me by a dear friend of mine. So I took these pears and I cooked them down, Kevin, and just a little bit of brown sugar, some butter, a little hint of rum and a little bit of nutmeg nutmeg and um, just a tiny bit of uh, pepper, just a hint. And once it cooked down really well, I created a crumble for it, and the crumble has pecans in it, so it makes it extra yummy. And we got a scoop of ice cream today. So, And I'll say this. It was so good that I actually turned down the scoop of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we'll mm-hmm. visit more with our guest, Chef Juanita Smith. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. More after this.
If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today we're visiting with Chef Juanita Smith. Uh, but before we went on break, we were talking about uh, Chef Nick Wallace, who was on the program last week. Uh, if you'd like to go back and listen to Deborah's conversation with Chef Nick, uh, you can go to mpbonline.org slash deepsouthdining or subscribe to the podcast using any of the podcasts app that fit on your smartphone. Just search for Deep South Dining. We've got a full archive of past shows, so if you ever miss something, Thing on a Monday morning or want to go back and listen again, uh, you can do that with uh, with a podcast app on your smartphone. So, Chef Juanita, uh, remind us again uh, of uh, your background and, and how you got interested in, in the culinary arts. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to go back to the old cliche, you know, my mama, my grandmama. <laughs> <laughs> but it, to be honest, it's the God's honest truth. My grandmother, you know, growing up and, and smelling these wonderful southern dishes and then my mother who cooked just like I do almost every day. And then she got to a point where she was like, you know what, on Fridays, we're just going to fry some catfish and fry some chicken. (laughs) But the love of food, honestly, was always in me. But I hid it for so long because I was like, okay, I want to go to school. I want to be a journalist. And then I was like, stop lying to yourself. (laughs) So um, eventually, once I realized I needed to live in my truth and figure out what it was that I really wanted to be, the chef world was just calling me because I was always mixing and matching and and trying different flavors and some were some were hits and misses but you know uh, for the most part it, it everything always turned out to be this this magical pot of something and uh, my brother calls me the pancake queen because when we were kids, <laughs> I was always the one that had to make the pancakes and just being in the kitchen being able to do that as a kid kind of sparked my interest and it just it, it flew from there. So earlier, uh, you and I were talking about this dessert, and we were talking about allergies. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how um, your food journey has changed based on you being a mom. (laughs) Um, Well, having children allowed me to, one, have a sense of patience (laughs) that you don't always get in the restaurant industry. You don't always get that in this world. But then um, I started having children, and one day I said, you know what? I don't want to feed my children over the counter and I don't want to bring in these different things to them that I know aren't great for their body. So I started making baby food for my, for my, for my son. It began began with him. And, um, later on, um, I had a daughter and, you know, I did the same thing for her. Well, in the process of that, we found out that my oldest has autism. He has high functioning autism. But I just started reading and researching and really understanding what autism is, the the truth about autism and not just what everybody was telling us what autism was. And in that, I realized that a lot of things that we are putting in our body, a lot of things that we are allowing our past to tell us about what we should eat was wrong. So I started um, coming a gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free casein-free, red dye-free diet, Um, all vitamins, B12s and magnesium, B6, things that I knew 
that were clouding his brain, I took away from him. All dairy, no cheese, no milk, no you no know, anything. So now when he asks for cereal, he's like, "Can I have almond milk?" And I'm like, "You know, that's wow. all we have." <laughs> but um, and I get this question all the time: Do you see a difference in seeing my son at four and seeing him at six? I see a huge difference, and. It's a struggle because, you know, grandparents are like, oh, I got the candy and the snacks, <laughs> even though I pack all the good stuff. But, you know, for the most part, I think that giving my children, and not just my children, that's something that I want to do for all children, giving them something for their body that is going to make them greater is really near and dear to me. Because not only do I want to make Ava and RJ greater, I want to make other children greater because what they're putting in their bodies right now, or put what we're putting in our bodies right now, is not helping us thrive. So. I think it's important. I think that what you mentioned was a good thing because I know I think probably in my cases and a lot of people, you, if you don't just kind of get good eating habits established early on, those are the way that you can sometimes make lifelong patterns of, of eating not in healthy ways, and so. Uh, especially with kids being such picky eaters, I think it was important, and I, I applaud you for kind of getting him started on the right road to where, as you mentioned, you know, almond milk is just kind of second nature to him now, and so he can appreciate those healthier foods. It, it appeals to his palate, and, and it's good for him. Yeah. I think, too, Kevin, with what you were saying, Chef Juanita and I had a very passionate conversation, so much so that I think you're going to even write a cookbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, concerning um, these dietary changes, yeah. and especially for children, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But in the c- course of us living our lives, you know, it really is, like Kevin was saying, it's important to make choices that are specific for your lifestyle. With me being a true Southern cook, one of the things that I say to people all the time, be true to yourself, you know, right. be true to your household, and and to eat and live in moderation. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, if you get a... a a sweet potato pie. It doesn't make sense to sit down and eat the whole pie exactly. at one time. And so it's learning to live your life and exercising your right to have a delicious life, but to do it in balance. And something you just said is something that I try to live now and not just eat and live in moderation, but to eat and live in peace. Oh, and for love me, that. that means that I am able to eat this plate of something without feeling And not the guilty part, because we're always going to feel guilty about overindulging on something. But to be able to eat and live in peace and know that tomorrow I'm going to wake up, my body's going to feel better, my heart is going to feel better, my cholesterol is going to be down, my blood pressure is going to be down. And I know that it's a difficult thing for people to be able to say, you know what, I'm just going to stop eating meat or I'm going to stop eating dairy. I get that you can't do it tomorrow. But once you realize that there's a certain level of peace that you want in your own body and in your own life, there's a change that's going to automatically happen. No, I I really appreciate you using that to eat in peace because one of the things, and we even posted about that yesterday, that I'm in a peaceful place Mm. uh, because it's not just enough for me when I'm talking to people about how to, to live your life and eat your food. Even if you've got all a plate full of wonderful, green, healthy, farm-to-table things. If your mind and spirit is not at peace, Mm -hmm. your digestive system and your heart and everything is still out of rhythm, and you're still not having that wonderful process that you should. So even with just choosing right foods is not enough. you got to choose to treat your whole self well. Now, it's interesting, Deborah, that you brought up this specific example of sweet potato pie when you're talking about moderation, because I know when I get your sweet potato pie, it is very difficult to eat in moderation. 
you want to eat the whole thing. Well, Kevin, I'm going to take that as a great compliment, and I hope that when we take this to market, everybody else is going to feel right. the same way, too. Uh, we're visiting on Deep South Dining with Chef Juanita Smith. Uh, Chef Juanita, we talked kind of about your uh, growing up and realizing that kind of, you know, you were being drawn toward food, the culinary arts. I think Oprah describes it as an aha moment. Did you have one of those where you realized that, hey, this is the way I need to go? Um. I did, but I didn't realize it at the time. Um, I started out very green. You know, I went to culinary school in Atlanta, and I got a really great job offer. So I left culinary school, took this job offer, and I'm making little to no money because I'm not charging anything. I got my first NFL client, who was Jason Allen at the time. I think he played for the Dolphins then, and I'm charging him like $400 a week. And I'm making no money. <laughs> Parents still paying my rent. So, um, and then I find out about this girl. She's in New York. She's charging $5,000 a week. And I was like, I could be doing that. Well, it was at that moment. I don't know if it was an aha moment, but it was at that moment that I decided that I wasn't going to underbid myself, that I was worthy of more mm-hmm. than what I was getting. Because I'm pouring my in my all of my energy, all of my time into what at that time was only one client. And I'm pouring everything into that and I'm getting nothing for it. And it wasn't his fault. It was because I was so green in the beginning and I didn't really know the industry. I knew that I didn't want to work for a personal chef company because they were going to take half my money. But it was at that moment that I decided that I was going to get what I was worth. So in the the, the financial aspect of it. I decided then that I was going to take what I needed to make and build from that. And in that building, I also decided that I was never going to let the money decide how great I was. My food had to be something that people talked about forever. And I've made mistakes in the past where I know like when I'm frazzled and I'm frustrated, my food doesn't always turn out right. But I have made a promise to myself that no matter what I do, every single bite of food that people eat from me, that I'm going to hear it from somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. So for me, that was the moment of clarity. Like, you know, get what you're worth and but work hard to get it. Never forget that you might be making this amount of money, but in order for you to keep that, you have to continue to do the work. Now, what I, I'm having like an Oprah moment now, Kevin, <laughs> uh, because what I love about it is that You've been able to use the element of food to not just uh, build a business, but to say, get what I'm worth. And that goes into so many areas of our lives so far past what we sit down to eat. That goes into our personal lives and relationships. That goes into our jobs. That goes into how we see the whole world. Get what you're worth every day. And that doesn't mean taking advantage of somebody, but it does also mean not taking advantage of yourself, but living your life full Mm -hmm. with every bite of life to live it full. I love that. Oprah, if you're listening, we love that. (laughs) (laughs) And we love you. You know, earlier we were talking about uh, the, the the chefs having to put up with the idea of sometimes uh, people you provide the food for aren't very appreciative of it. Yeah, let's flip that around a bit. Tell us what it's like when you you fix something and, and you hear the – I know Deborah always gets me. It's like I was always doing the yummy sounds and that sort of thing. <laughs> but that must be really kind of a, 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 a great moment when you, something you prepared you can see people enjoying. It is. Um I tell people all the time that the reason why I do this is because I like to make people smile through their stomachs. Mm. <laughs> because 
if I can get you this one bite of food or 10 bites of food, however many it takes to get you to smile, <laughs> then it makes me feel good. It honestly, whether it's something as simple as um, chicken tetrazzini. Yes. My mother had me make that yesterday for her. <laughs> and But just even something that simple, if it's whether, whether it's lamb chops or anything, seeing somebody enjoy your food, it's kind of like this this euphoria moment. It's this aura that comes around you. And it's not a cocky, it's not a, a overconfident. It's just a moment of, I feel great to be able to give you this. And you love it because Absolutely. this is my job. So, so so do you have those moments like I do? You know, my name is Deborah, but when it's really good and I see Kevin make those faces like in my brain, I'm going, I'm Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think- I'm going to have to get an A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need to take another quick break. Uh, we're visiting today on Deep South Dining with our guest, Chef Juanita Smith. Uh, we'll be back to talk about food after this. I love how you say my name. <laughs> This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. And today we're visiting with Chef Juanita Smith. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about your food. I know we were talking before we came on air, and uh, Java said he was kind of stalking you on, on Facebook <laughs> and Instagram and found some really, I mean, just looking at these things, I want to get into these because they sound very delicious. But first, uh, tell us about Mars. Mars is a is something else that's very near and dear to my heart. Mars actually means Mackenzie, Ava, or Reginald, and Smith, our last name, which is my children. Um and my son said something to me one day. He's like, Mom, that's out of this world. Oh, so I kind of wow. took it as a um, just one of those moments where I was like, you know what, I'm going to use that. And um, originally it was going to be the name of my restaurant. Well, that's not happened yet. But, um, <laughs> we're already, but no, I started Mars because I had a daughter that passed away, which is the first name, Mackenzie, from SIDS um, about 12 years ago. And then my son, who has autism, I um, wanted to do something, not just for children with autism, but I know every every person that has a child has a picky eater somewhere in those children. And um, I know for most people that don't know a lot about autism, their palates are a lot different from ours. Yeah. So when they taste things, it's a panko-crusted chicken breast to them is not the same as it is to us. My son's fixation color is red. So I try to incorporate red into a lot of his food. He um, doesn't really like a lot of creamy things. So I try to incorporate other options for him. And so Mars started with me wanting to really bring locally orga- local, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free products into the grocery stores in online for the picky eaters because I know that I know from experience having to sit at the table for 30 minutes and get your child to eat something is a very difficult thing but bringing something to them 
that they can enjoy and do themselves. And that and that's another part of it too, them actually being able to make the food themselves. My son loves making eggs. He loves making brownies. He doesn't know that there's flaxseed and avocados <laughs> and all this other stuff in it. But he he loves being in the kitchen and it's an opportunity for your kids to actually get their hands dirty and be in the kitchen and and help you make these foods. And I wanna make it, you know, to where it's not too expensive. Because, you know, you go to the stores now, you get the, all the organic stuff, and you got to pay, you come out $50, and you got three things in your basket. <laughs> you so, get, you do mean you get three? I thought it was right. just like two and a half. <laughs> right. no. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to be something that, you know, the single mom or the, you know, couple with two kids or the family of five, that everybody can buy, that everybody can actually benefit from. This isn't just something just for children with autism. This is for all children because it's something that they can put in their lunch boxes. It's something that they can just pull out if mommy has to go to work at night. Whatever the case may be, I want it to be, I don't want it to be a TV dinner in a box that you heat up in the microwave and you're done. Um, Is there a way if someone's interested to find out more about your foundation? Um, You can actually go on to my Facebook page right now. That's the only only way I have it right now is um, Chef Juanita. What is it? Chef Juanita Elizabeth um, (laughs) on my Facebook page and click on the GoFundMe link. And it has all of the information for Mars, the Mars Foundation on there. And so just give as much money as possible. (laughs) I mean, what an absolutely, you know, brilliant idea, because we do live in a time now where the food sources have changed Mm -hmm. so much. We were talking about that. I believe it was last week where uh, just in the last few years here in the United States alone, 86 of our apples that were original apples have completely disappeared. And a lot of people don't understand that those kinds of things happen because there's some brilliant guy in a scientific lab who's fusing things together Mm -hmm. and trying to get the perfect apple and you add a little bit of this to it and you add a little GMO to it. So the apple that would normally pick from a tree and last for about a week, you know, fresh, Mm -hmm. now can stay in your table from October to the following October and it almost looks exactly Mm -hmm. the same. And so you're feeding your body, again, some things that are not necessarily digestible, especially for those people who have food allergies. what Mars is all about is actually getting back to real food real eating and and bringing natural products natural you know um nothing out of a can and you know nothing that is 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 processed in a factory um i want to really bring um something real to the table for kids every day and and eventually you know we bring real things to the table for the wife who can't cook for her husband every day or the the husband or the the man who's by himself who is not able to make a meal every day but he can go to the store and pick out this meal that is all natural that is fresh and ready to go in 30 minutes and I'm really excited about that because there's a movement across the not just across the United States but across the world farm to table mm-hmm. conversation is is coming back and uh, a lot of people think that it's a new conversation but actually it's a very old conversation we're just going back to revisit our roots it's the farm that I grew up on my grandparents we raised everything and the things that uh you know, we harvest during the summer and spring. A lot of that stuff was canned and put mm-hmm. up, but it was fresh and it was preserved in a natural way. Uh, even the meats that we uh, slaughtered, we sorted them down, kept them in the salt house, right. and it was never any chemicals added into those things. So I'm really excited as a Southern girl 
Mississippi was always ahead of the curve mm-hmm. with farming, and now we're bringing that conversation back. I'm just like, yes, let's do it. Uh, so, Chef Juanita, your cooking style has been described as elegant, modern, fun. <laughs> How would you describe it? Elegant, modern, and fun. <laughs> <laughs> like your personality. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, no, you know, I, I, I love that people see what I see in my food. I do think it's elegant, modern, and fun. But I also think that I have this this sense of creativity when it comes to food and plating. And really, I want you to see it. I want you to see the food and be like, well, I, I can say this, cussed. but <laughs> <laughs> I can say it because I've actually had your food. Yeah. It looks like art. It's mm-hmm. it's plates of art. The food that you're doing is absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you. I just I, I, I like people to to see the fun side of what being in the culinary industry is about because it's, it's a, like I said before it's grueling and we sweat back there and it's crazy but every single plate every every single thing that 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 we put out first of all you eat with your eyes first and then there's Absolutely. a smell I want you to smell it and, and feel it it's like it's like a glass of wine like swirl it around for a minute on your tongue <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know play I, I like for people to play with their food you know have fun with your food and and, and really enjoy it now, that's really great, Kevin, that she said she wants people to have food, fun with their food and, you know, take some time to really enjoy it. Because what I've noticed is most of the time when people eat, they're really, really hungry. Yep. And so they don't get a chance to really taste the bites. So if you go back and say, tell me what that tastes like, and they'll usually say it was good. Right, it was good. <laughs> but they can't tell you about the textures mm-hmm. or, you know, the flavors that you took all this time right. to put into a dish. Because yeah. that's that's one thing for me. I like to put in the different components about food with the textures, the flavors and the smells and the, the bitter, the sweet, the salty. I want you to, I want you to get all of that in, in one bite. So Java found a couple of examples, and, and the two that I really, really like, the, the <laughs> grilled turkey sliders, smoked gouda, bacon, mango, and habanero guacamole. Oh, yes, and again, Lord. you were just talking about that, that variety. I mean, when you bite into that, there are so many different things going on in your mouth. It's, it's a party in your mouth. Yeah, it's an explosion, and, that, and that's what I shoot for when I cook. I don't want it to just be a mundane kind of, kind of thing. You know, I, when, I, when I made those grilled turkey sliders, I actually just made that at home. I was making that for the kids. My, I think my dad and husband were around. And it was just one of those things I was playing with. And some said, take a picture of this. <laughs> but, <laughs> Java is over here shaking his head like, why don't we have some of that here right. now? Right. <laughs> uh, the other one I liked is uh, mustard and herb crusted pork tenderloin with maple glaze and bacon butter mashed potatoes. Ooh, uh, hallelujah. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> On, on the caption, it's like your, your son wanted hot dogs or something. Oh, he did. Like, I made this whole menu, this whole meal, and I think my son asked for, like, hot dogs. And I was like, really, kid? <laughs> you want hot dogs? He didn't know they vegan hot dogs. <laughs> he wanted hot dogs. But they ate those mustard and herb crusted tenderloin that night. <laughs> so. But is it is it sort of a trial and error kind of thing where you maybe think about this might go good with that, and, and I guess, you know, it, it takes a while to perfect it, I guess. And, and this business is always trial and error. And even though 90% of the chefs that do this, they know what flavors will go together, but sometimes we get a little cocky, and <laughs> sometimes we try to think of different different things out of the box, and they don't always, it doesn't always mesh well. But um, a lot of the times it's really understanding 
what flavors you're dealing with. I like to I like to play with a lot of Asian flavors and a lot of Spanish flavors and um, Indian and Moroccan flavors. So I know that I can use cinnamon in an Indian-style fried rice and also use it in my sweet potato pie. Because in Moroccan flavors, they use a lot. They use a lot of cinnamon for savory for savory food, but in the South, we use cinnamon for sweets. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of understanding the the balance of of different spices. And one of the things that I like about Deborah's cooking, and I and I kind of sense this in, in what we're talking about here, is that <clears throat> there's really is a kind of a delicate balance of the flavors. And and when you're experimenting, it's got to be why well, I, I want to have a, a, a taste of this, uh, you know, a hint of this, mm-hmm. but nothing sort of overwhelms the other flavors. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, uh, for me as a woman, it's like getting dressed. You know, it's like you can either be really elegantly dressed Mm -hmm. or you could just be super gaudy, but it still (laughs) needs to be put together really well. And so for me, with uh, when I'm cooking, Kevin, it's always tasting something. I may taste the seasons Mm -hmm. before I use them or I'm going to taste, you know, what vegetables just to see what it tastes like. And, you know, and then your brain, my brain is turned on going, okay, this works well with this. It was you were talking about cinnamon. It was the first time I put cinnamon on fish mm. and and then added in some spices, you know, mm-hmm. some peppers to, to bring that flavor oh, yeah. up. It was just absolutely incredible. Well, of course, being from the South, the people that were at my table had never mm-hmm. had that treat before. <laughs> so it was just quite amazing. So... Uh, it's it's just jumping in and playing with it a little mm-hmm. bit, and like you said, and and then when you do get a little cocky, you know, the, yeah. it'll bring you back around <laughs> and say, well, "You didn't do that right." Right. <laughs> All right. So using your same analogy there, uh, the, when I usually just pull on a t-shirt and a pair of shorts, I guess I'm uh, hot dogs and beans. While you're, you know, you've got <laughs> but, the elegant stuff there where you put it together. But you know what, Kevin? Hot dogs and beans and sass go together well. So. <laughs> Just put on some heels with it. <laughs> right. I mean, well, in your case, you know, put on a nice blazer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can handle heels. I don't know no, how y'all do yeah, that. I, I definitely don't want Kevin in heels. I'm sorry. It's just not going to work for me. I'll wear the heels. You wear the uh, T-shirt and jeans. How about right. that? <laughs> that is going to wrap us up for today. Thanks uh, so much to our guest, Chef Juanita Smith, for joining us this You're morning. so very welcome. I had so much fun wow, with you guys. Wow, the hour's over with already. No, is it not? This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Thanks to our producer, Java Chapman. We'll be back next Monday with another (gasps) Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio. Oh, that was awesome. Wow. And actually, not quite over. Have a couple of minutes here at the end of the show. Call this bonus time. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Deborah's gone, so it's me and Java taking you up to the top of the hour. Again, that was our interview with Chef Juanita Smith. Uh, from last Friday. A reminder that uh, you can always go back and listen to any of the interesting and fun interviews that we do on the show. You can go to our webpage, mpbonline.org. Find the Deep South Dining page. Uh, you'll find past episodes there. Also, any kind of podcast uh, devi- uh, program that you have for your smartphone, uh, you can subscribe to Deep South Dining and any of the other local MPB programs, and you can find uh, a list, an archive of the shows there as well. And I, and even though I was just uh, producing, sitting in the back with the headphones on, that was almost like one of my favorite interviews. Chef Juanita Smith, she's so um, personable and, you know, just having that conversation about food and how she's doing things with her family. We have kind of a similar situation with our kids. So mm-hmm. it was interesting to me about the things that she was doing. So that was like easily one of my top interviews up here at Deep South Dining. <laughs> 
And I remember the first time she was with us, uh, she used to be um, a celebrity chef and to uh, some famous athletes. So I thought that was interesting, too, is the, the whole concept of, of uh, you know, providing food for someone like that. And, and you're having to make sure you know what they like to eat, but also make sure that they're getting uh, the proper nutrition, especially a professional athlete, you know, as grueling as their schedules are. Uh, you've got to give them what's the, uh, what's the proper thing to eat uh, so they can stay strong and, and do the job that they're paid to do. Yeah, I think we're going to um, actually reach out to some dietitians and have them on the program because that's one thing, too, with people trying to eat healthy and, you know, be savory and, and, and good at the same time. That's a, that's a hard balance. <laughs> yeah, I've always heard that, that uh, diets and things like that, that, uh, that really you need to find something that you enjoy eating and that is healthy because uh, if, you, if you're on a very restrictive diet or something or don't ever treat yourself every once in a while, it's easy to get off track. But if you can find something that, that you enjoy eating but is also healthy for you, that's really the secret. And that's what uh, will help you uh, in weight loss and staying healthy. And also, you know, they say that the idea of a diet is something that you think you do and then you're over with when and in fact if you don't eat well and you want to change those eating habits it is something of a lifestyle change and something that you need to continue to do not something you can do for a couple of months and then revert back to your old way of, of eating or you can just get up like you do and walk every morning at five o'clock that, that does help <laughs> you know i went uh I, a favorite side of mine it's called foodimentary it always has a whatever day today and so uh, interestingly enough today is boston cream pie day uh, which is one of my favorite desserts. It's a cake that's filled with a custard or cream filling and frosted with chocolate. Uh, and although it's called Boston Cream Pie, it is, in fact, a cake. Uh, it was created in 1856 by an Armenian-French chef at Boston's Parker House Hotel. And uh, it's the official dessert of Massachusetts, declared so in 1996. And also, a Boston cream donut is named for a Berliner. A Berliner is a German donut that's filled uh, with uh, custard. And so uh, they made the Boston cream pie donut the Berliner. I thought it was funny when, uh, when I was in um, middle school, my father was stationed in Germany, and we went to Berlin once. And, of course, there's that famous, when JFK went to Berlin in the 1960s, he, he declared, Ich bin ein Berliner, which meant he was a Berliner, someone of Berlin. You know, he was showing sympathy uh, with the folks in uh, Germany. Germany, but we kind of made a joke out of it, and he was saying, telling the world that he was a donut. So uh, yeah, I was like, that is crazy. <laughs> when you think you're smart, there we go. All right, so uh, just a little bonus coverage there. Thanks, Java, for helping me fill in there. Uh, Deep South Dining heard every Monday at nine on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back next Monday with another program.